0: When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben, for she
1: said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me.
0: She conceived
1: again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And
0: she called his name Simeon. Again she conceived and bore a son, and said,
1: Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons.
0: Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again, and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob,
2: Give me children, or I shall die. Jacob's
0: anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said,
3: Am I in the place of God, who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb?
2: Then she said, Here is my servant Bilhah. Go to her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her.
0: So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went in to her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said,
2: God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son.
0: Therefore she called his name Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. Then Rachel said,
2: With mighty wrestlings I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his
0: name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son and Leah said good fortune has come so she called his name Gad Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son and Leah said
1: happy am I for women have called me happy so
0: she called his name Asher in the days of wheat harvest Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah then Rachel said to Leah
2: please give me some of your son's mandrakes
0: but she said to
1: her Is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said,
2: Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes.
0: When Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. Leah
1: said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband.
0: So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. Then Leah said,
1: God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons.
0: So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said,
2: God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph saying, May the Lord add to me another son.
3: Good morning, my name is Stephen. Uh, thanks for joining us here this morning as we continue to go through uh, the book of Genesis and all kinds of weird and wonderful stories. Uh, this morning is all about having children. And uh, just so you know, I do not put the preaching schedule together. And uh, this story is all about uh, maybe the foolishness of putting your trust in having lots of children, uh, which is, if you know me, I have six children. And uh, so maybe the preaching team are saying, well, it's good for you to study it, Stephen. Maybe this uh, trust is put in the wrong place. Uh, But this story is not actually just about that. There's something for us all to enter into Uh, as we look into what's brings us happiness. How do we pursue it? And uh, here we have Rachel and Leah pursuing happiness by trying to have children. And uh, we're going to look at that. Maybe you are in the midst of wanting children yourself, like some of uh, the families that we're celebrating with today, or maybe you're past that stage or not going to that stage and that's not relevant to you. There's still things though that you are looking to to bring joy and happiness uh, to your life. And uh, we want to look this morning in the fact that God is our key to happiness. That nothing else in this life can offer it in the same way. Everything else is fleeting, really, in comparison to him. So that's where we're going to head uh, today. Uh, but let me start by just giving a quick recap of where we're at. So we took a, a week's gap last week uh, when Neville came to speak to us on the theme of our gift day. Uh, but before that, though, uh, Matt spoke to us about the story of Jacob finding his wife, and wives and so, so Jacob he came to a new land came to find a wife and found this beautiful girl called Rachel who he wanted to marry and uh, Rachel's father said well you can marry her but you gotta work for me for seven years so he works for his uh, her father for seven years and then he gets to his wedding day and marries a girl but it's the wrong girl it's her older sister uh, what the Bible says her baby, basically older unattractive sister and so he gets tricked into marrying her, but then seven days, seven days later, he's about to marry the younger sister that he loved anyway. And that's to work another seven years, though, to kind of uh, uh, make up for it. And uh, it's a strange story. And uh, it's polygamous. And we think, that is, that's, is that good? Is the Bible saying that's good? Again, we have to look at this and realize that lots of what we read in the Bible isn't God putting a stamp of approval on it, it's just describing what people are really like. And so what people really liked back then is often they would do this they not have many wives that's not the way God set it up God set up Adam and Eve one man, one woman and when God talks about marriage and institutes it he only ever talks about one man and one woman but in reality there's lots of men who have more than one wives but whenever we see it we see that it comes with all kinds of bitterness and resentment it's not romanticised at all it's destructive it's worth just saying that from the outset the things we're seeing here are stories of deeply flawed people And you think, why are we looking at it? Well, because let me tell you, you are deeply flawed, as am I. Actually, there's hope here that this is not about our faithfulness or our goodness, but about enduring promises. Not our enduring promises, but God's enduring promises. His enduring blessing as he deals with people like you and me, and like the people in this story. So this story, this story is the the origin story of the twelve tribes of Egypt. These are the OGs of these tribes, and uh, we find out that they are born into this dysfunctional family, into this messy place, where Jacob has married these two sisters who are now rivals with one another. It's not a good situation, and if anything, it's a foreshadowing of all the kinds of trouble that becomes as we read through the Bible with these couple of tribes we find out that God's enduring promises work for these sons, for these tribes, as we go through. So in today's story, we've got these two sisters, these two wives, fighting for the affection of Jacob. And a lot of the way they do it is about having children. For them back then, there's massive status in terms of having Kids. Being fertile and having lots of children would have been a sign of status, a sign of joy, and a sign of kind of uh, 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 leaving a legacy. That's obviously not the case for us in 21st century Brighton. Obviously, me and my wife didn't get that memo. But for most people, they know that's not really the status symbols that we grab after. That's not necessarily our way through to happiness. Not that children aren't still a, a real sign of joy and people want them. That's a big, big part of the way we're kind of hardwired in lots of ways. Uh, But for us, there's lots of other ways in which we choose to pursue happiness or status in our particular society. And so we're going to look at some of those today and see actually that uh, the only way to real happiness is by coming to Jesus, coming to to God and laying our lives before him and our priorities uh, before him. But we are going to look at it through the lens of these children and these children being named. And I've not seen Marcus Sahani, they might be here somewhere out there, uh, but they may be helped this morning by the list of names, maybe some nice biblical names there to use or you're really welcome to use my name, Stephen. Don't meet many Stephens these days, little baby Stephens, so you might be able to want to, Bring that back in. Or feel free to use my surname. Dawson means son of Dor. And uh, again, feel free to use that. I thought I would just quickly tell you a story about the name of one of my children, though, uh, before we get into the serious stuff. I was preaching on this stage 15 years ago. And uh, I was talking about starting fires for Jesus and uh, igniting something for the sake of the gospel. And I said that uh, my wife, who was pregnant at the time, Emma was pregnant at the time, about three weeks out from having a child. I said, you know, what? I'm thinking about calling, if it's a boy, calling it Ignatius. I thought, I like, igniting stuff and being a fire starter. And I got a nice ripple of kind of laughter. I oh, thought that'd be hilarious. And, uh, and so then sure enough, three weeks later, we had a child. It was a son. And a few weeks after that, we came back to church and uh, we pushed the pram into church. And a, a lady in the congregation came over and did the obligatory cooing, oh, isn't your baby so beautiful? Let's just be clear, some babies are beautiful, some babies look like being squished and squashed down. But they made the obligatory, oh, isn't your baby beautiful? And then she turned to me and said, now, Stephen, did you call it that silly name? Did you? Did you call it Obadiah? And I said, oh, you mean Ignatius. That's what I preached about three weeks ago. Because we've already got an Obadiah, that's number two, here. (laughs) The the colour drains from her face. She's like, oh, yeah. (laughs) God bless you. <laughs> and wonders off. Such joy in my heart. So yeah. And I met a fourth son and called him Ignatius. Yeah. Anyway, so we do have an Ignatius, uh, which is uh, I have decided is a ridiculous name. Um, I once went to Topshop and uh, couldn't find him when he was about two or three. And uh, I was like, Nate, Nate, short his name to Nate, where are you, Nate? Couldn't find him. I was like, Ignatius, where are you? And it's Christmas shopping time, and everyone looks at me, total judgment, like you've called him. What I was like, ah, it's character building. It's character building. So, Anyway, so name your children well. I think these guys have done well. Okay, anyway, so it's not just about kids this morning. It's about all kinds of routes uh, through. But let's look at these two women's rivalry. Let's look at the fact that their pursuit of happiness, their route through having children is actually quite destructive because that's the thing they aim at. They're not looking to necessarily honour God. I think we can say their only motive was for status. But it's very clear as we look at this that, that is a big part of it. So let's start by looking at Leah. Now, Leah, she's had a pretty hard deal. The Bible kind of names her as not that attractive. She's kind of, her husband's married her, but only because he's been tricked into it. You think, man, she, that's, that's a pretty hard uh, kind of hand to be dealt. If anyone deserves some happiness, she probably does. She's unloved. The Bible says she's hated here. What strong language there is there. She just clearly wants just someone to love her. Something that we can all relate to. Someone just to care for her. Someone to show her some affection. Show her some honour. Her father's tricked a man into marrying her. She's now married to a husband who doesn't really want to be with her. We can sympathise with her. But how does she respond to that? She responds by desperately trying to win the affection of her husband. And we can see this. this is a way, the way that she names the children are kind of commentaries of what's going on in her mind and her heart at these points. So she has her first son, Reuben, and she calls him Reuben. So it kind of means, now my husband will love me. How a chance? Like, No, now my husband will love me. It's like, hey, husband, just in case you need a clue about why I'm, I'm naming it this. I'm naming it this because I want your love. Later, she calls another one of her children, Levi. Now this time, my husband will be attached to me. So like, obviously the first time has not worked. So she's still pleading in her heart. Maybe my husband will love me now because I've given him this another son. And when she has her sixth son, she says, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honour me because I have borne him six sons. How many sons, how many children do you need to have before your husband gives you affection? Her motive here is, you know, it may be to have children. Children are a blessing and good. There's definitely something in here where she wants to win the love of someone else. She wouldn't be the last person to have a child just to put some life back into a relationship. Lots of people kind of think, maybe I could put a spark back into my marriage by having a child with this person. Maybe that'll keep the, the marriage alive. But whether it's children or other things, trying to win people's affection through certain actions isn't real love. It doesn't really, really lead to real happiness. And there's all kinds of ways that we do this as people, isn't, isn't it? Sometimes it's just parroting a particular viewpoint. Hey, oh, if I just match up with what that person thinks, maybe they'll think more of me. Maybe if it's a parental relationship, maybe if I pursue this particular line of education or career, I'll get my parents' approval. Maybe it's sometimes failing to even challenge the actions of other people, just to make sure they still think well of us. The reality is valuing the love of someone as a route to happiness is not a lasting plan. Pleasing others is like serving a very fickle God. Making that the thing we worship and serve and go after, it's a dangerous place to be. If the love of another is based upon how you are acting, how you are speaking, the things you're pursuing or not pursuing, it actually means that it's just based upon something that can take away in a moment. What if that person what the thing that person wants changes? Can you change to meet it? Or what if you can't keep up with it, what the thing they want? Is their love only based upon that? That's not the kind of love that Baba describes. The Baba describes faithful love. Based upon God's love for people. If we seek people's love by our actions or by our words, it can twist our actions and twist our words. Think, okay, what do I need to do to earn this person's love? Well, I'll do this. It's a slight compromise maybe on the things I believe or think, but that's a little compromise. But sometimes those compromises can creep and creep and creep to the point maybe that we're being abused by the some of the things that we're being asked to do. I'll get into an ugly place of doing things that we never really wanted to do. We see that with Leah. She starts this rivalry with her sister and treats her badly. I don't know what the kind of relationship they had growing up, but now their relationship is really tainted by this rivalry, by her trying to pursue Jacob's love for her. She's shunning everything to do with her sister. There's anxiety and constant looking for, this. is this man going to love me? When you are in that place, you give yourself massively into the powers of other people, what they think, what they will say about you. It is not a good God. It's not a great way through to happiness. It's not the way that God is with us. God, it says, loves us as we are. Loves us too much to leave us as we are, but he loves us as we are. That's a bit about Leah. What about Rachel? Rachel, well, she didn't need the love of Jacob. She already had it perfectly. She already had it. In the last story, we saw that Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. If this was just the story, the only marriage going on in this story, it would have been a beautiful thing. The thing we could write about in Valentine's cards. But, oh, wow, he loved her so much. He worked for seven years. And it was but a day to him to do so much love for her. So This is beautiful. But unfortunately, it gets mixed up with all kinds of, kind of wickedness. says two wives now at rivalry with one another. But Rachel, well, she's the good-looking one. She's the one who's got the man. Is she happy? She's got these things. No, she's not. Because what she's missing, she's missing a child. For her, that's the route through to happiness that she's chosen. She feels like a second-class citizen, a second-class wife. Where Leah feels like a second-class wife because she's not attractive, doesn't have her husband's affections. Rachel feels like a second-class one because she's not able to ride a child. She feels looked down upon. She does not have the status that she feels that she needs. She feels like a failure. She feels like she's being looked down upon. And she looks upon her sister with envy and jealousy. And what's the first thing we hear her say in this passage? She says this. Give me children or I shall die. We had it read very politely in our reading today. But she says, I shall die. That's the depth of despair that she's in. She's so done with her lot in life. She just wants to die. She just amps up the drama, amps amps up kind of the irrational thoughts about this. She says to her husband, you, why haven't you given me a child? I think Jacob's probably been been trying. He's like, no. And he says to her, what are you talking about? This is not on me. God gives children. I can't do anything more than I'm already doing. She gets very irrational about the thing. What do you do when you're in pain? What do you do when you're hurting? What do you do when you're in crisis? Where do you turn? Where do your thoughts turn? They're very revealing about how much we trust God. They really reveal how we view our relationship with him. I know that I'm not trusting God with things in my life. I say these words, I'm so done. It's such a phrase. You asked my wife how many times I've said that in her marriage and it would be uncountable. So I'm just so done. I can't keep going. It's It's just not true. It's not trusting. It doesn't betray the fact that God knows my days he knows the situations he's put me in last term we looked at the book of James talks about us being in trial and difficulty and actually that being a good thing for us making us more like God putting perseverance and maturity in it on us if we don't view it that way if we think we've kind of kind of decided what the path of happiness should be when we're off it and God's us another path we can going say oh, I don't want it to the point where I'm done or I, I want to die as Rachel says here we're not unsympathetic to Rachel Not being able to conceive is a painful thing. That's a journey that I know people in this church have faced and are facing. I don't want to belittle that. There's also other situations that people in there are genuinely very tough and difficult. Genuine crisis, genuine pain, genuine hurt. But an opportunity to say, okay, where do I land with that? Do I trust God? If I'm reliant on that path to play out for my happiness, it may never, you may never be happy. It may never play out the way that you want it to. Our ability to control events, control other people, is so limited. Surely happiness, therefore, must be found in a different route. A bit later in this story, we see that Rachel, in her desperation, gets into a bizarre situation. Leah's eldest son, Reuben, young boy at this point, comes back from the fields carrying some flowers, carrying some mandrakes, it says, which are kind of a symbol of kind of superstitious superstition around fertility, essentially. And uh, Rachel sees them and thinks, oh, maybe I can get a charm by superstitious ways. I'll get hold of these mandrakes. She says, so she says to her sister, "Give me your son's mandrakes." And Leah looks and thinks, ah, oh, she's pretty desperate. I wonder what I can get out of this. And she says, well, you can have those mandrakes, but you have to give me our husband Jacob to sleep with tonight. And Rachel, in desperation, says, okay. She trades the intimacy with her husband for this superstitious plant. It's as ridiculous as that. And sure enough, Rachel then goes to Jacob and says, Hey, Jacob, I've bought you tonight. And uh, Jacob goes along with it. I read one commentary that kind of uh, kind of lauded Jacob. That, well, I'm welcome, welcome Jacob for going along with that plan, trying to make peace. Thinking, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> this guy's just sleeping <laughs> <laughs> with <laughs> Or I guess that's two more wives, as so we shall find out in a minute. Four wives he's sleeping with. I don't, I don't think he comes out well in this, personally. But he goes along with it. And what happens is Rachel has three more children. Sorry, Leah has three more children before Rachel has any. Rachel's traded these mandrakes, traded her sorry, traded her husband for these flowers to try and be pregnant, but instead what happens is Leah has more children and she still has none. In desperation, we can do all kinds of bizarre things. We're saying, my route to happiness is this and I'll pursue it no matter what. Suddenly means that we do sometimes do no matter what. And I was thinking about this, I was thinking about people that I've kind of passed and the over over this, even my own story a bit, to be honest with you. It says that money can be like this. I think money is sometimes something we can pursue. And that is the way to happiness. Just more wealth or just a bit more comfort sometimes. We fool ourselves. I'm not being greedy. I just need some more to be comfortable, to be in a happy spot. At least us doing all kinds of bizarre things. I always think gambling. Gambling. Every gambling organisation is absolutely stacked against the gamblers. I always think about ladbrokes. So literally, lads who are going to be broke. It's like, it's there in the name. I look at it. I do. I've had, I've had to counsel people to bat, self-ban themselves from that place. Like, are you stupid? It's irrational. You have wasted thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds going in there. You must self-ban yourself. Like everything you can. I've seen people do it, like, irrationally, literally spend over a decade of their lives trying to, gambling, trying to get out of their situation by putting money into gambling shops. It's literally stacks against you. The odds are not in your favour, but you go and go and go. So maybe that seems quite an obvious way. But workaholism, here's another one. I mentioned it again recently. We think, oh no, I can just keep climbing that ladder, work a few more hours, get some more money. Not really in the detriment that it does to yourself. Self-worth to your mental health, your physical health, to your relational health often. So does that really lead to goodness and happiness? Does anyone get to the end of their life and think, wow, I just wished I worked a few more hours? Money is not a good God. Happiness itself is not a good God. If that's a thing you pursue, you end up doing irrational things. Only God can be God. This story is another example of a family trading things that shouldn't be traded. Trading things that should be above trade. We saw this with Jacob and Esau trading their birthrights. Here, trading the intimacy with a husband which for the sake of happiness—not good. So separately, these sisters—they take some, kind of go down some dark paths in terms of um, seeking happiness. At least uh, irrational actions, anger, suicidal thoughts, being taken advantage of, and all kinds of people-pleasing. There's other features of their pursuit that are also bad. They start using people for gain. Rachel and Leah, we saw in the last story, they're almost treated like objects in terms of where they're bartered with their father and uh, kind of get married off. But here, they're now doing the same. They're taking their their, their servant girls, Bilhah and Zilpah, and they're like, okay, I'm so desperate to have children. I'm going to get them married to Jacob as well. Jacob now has four wives. And so the children that these servant girls have can then be attributed to their little household. I said, yes, great, I can get these two. I can't can't get pregnant, so I'm going to get this servant girl pregnant. And then they're going kind to of, kind of be my kind of children in proxy. And then, then Leah does the same. Just using these servant girls as an opportunity to get ahead in this weird rivalry and competition. We could be the same. We're trying to pursue someone, suddenly we step over people or step on people to go after the thing we want maybe family, maybe friends, maybe people at work. What about pride? Rachel, when she finally has a first child by her, uh, by her servant girl, Hell, she says, With mighty wrestlings, I wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. I have won. So, what have you won? How silly. What we've done is war- made the rivalry worse and you've just got pride, pride proudful. It says that Rachel is beautiful externally, but this pride, this shows something of ugliness of heart. Both only have temporary relief even when they have the children. Leah keeps having them and having them and having them. How many children does she need before she gets the love that she actually wants from her husband? And even Rachel, when she finally has a son, right at the end of the story, she calls him this. She says, she called his name Joseph saying, may the Lord add to me another son. What a strange thing to say. And finally she has this child. You sure you think, praise God, I finally have a child. She's not, no, I've got one. Now give me another one. How often the things we pursue in life we get hold of and always, all it really makes us is want some more. I always think it's any, ever, whatever gadget I ever get, I'm quite into gadgets. I get gadgets, get a new phones. like, ah, this is great. It lasts, you know, but a fraction of the time. And then further along I go into life. I'm like, you know, what was like a good kind of month of like, wow, this is a really cool phone. I'm going to show everyone. It's like, it's now like a couple of days. Like, yeah, it's just like the old one. These things don't last. They don't fulfill us. We just want more. Even children. Having children think, yes, if I have a family, have children, I'll be happy. Maybe maybe you think that's a thing. You know what? Children is having children is full of heartache. It really is. Just so you know, it's not easy. It's not easy. Me and my wife had a miscarriage along the way. You know what? That is full of heartbreak. And we've walked lots of other people through that as well. Having children, every child you have with their ill health or the difficulties they go through, that you have to go through them as well. It's tough having kids. They are a blessing and brilliant. Let me tell you, they really are. We praise God for more of them. But it's not suddenly easy. We think, oh, this is a path of happiness. And we think that our children are our path of happiness. Sometimes we can load them down with all kinds of expectations. And we can sully the relationship we have even with them as parents. I'm going to do a great job. I have a great family. Do you know what? You're going to lack as a parent as well. And the amount of times I go to bed and think, oh, didn't quite parent as I should have done today. So... I've told you lots of kind of disheartening things about past to happiness. So where do we go? These sisters got it wrong in their pursuit. But how, or more to the point, what should then we pursue? Well, this passage does give us some hints, but it doesn't really tie up nice, kind of nice theology for us in this whole passage. in this kind of verses from start to finish. Like, okay, this is how it didn't quite work. And this is how it should work out. Thankfully, as we look at the Bible whole, there are some great answers for to look at. But even in this passage, when Leah has her fourth son, Judah, she says this, this time I will praise the Lord. Where she'd been looking for the praise of her husband, where she kind of elevated him, she suddenly gets it right. She's like, no, you know what? This time I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm sure some peace came in her heart at that point. Something, the comparison of looking left and right was gone, looking for some status. You now she's like, God, I'm looking to you. And it's different. We see this play out, kind of this kind of teaching play more explicitly in the New Testament where Jesus teaches what we should pursue. What you should be seek. He says this seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When we seek God, that's the place of true and lasting happiness. And he's not talking about surface level happiness that's based upon circumstances or the situations we're in, but a deep sense of joy that that exists when being connected with him. We see in John 15, this wonderful image of Jesus being this vine and those who connect with him being strengthened and receiving courage and encouragement and becoming fruitful. And he says, these things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. It's a joy that is full and deep and goes into all areas of our lives. Where we're worried, where we're anxious, where we're pursuing happiness or comfort in things, God says, no, look up. Come and trust in me. Seek me and I'll give you joy that comes from within. It says elsewhere, build your house upon my teachings, upon my life. It's like building a house upon a rock. That when, not if, but when the storms of life come, you will not be shaken. You will not fall off course. He's not promising that life will be easy. Becoming a Christian is not easy. Life does not become easy, but you can know joy. I know many brothers and sisters in this church who've been through devastating, difficult times, but still had a depth of joy that's existed throughout. Peace that surpasses understanding. Peace that surpasses the situation that they found, in, found themselves in. Why? Because they stayed connected to Jesus. I found that he is a good god. Let's quickly look at this good god. He is the giver of everything that is good in your life. It says here in this passage that he's the opener of the womb. He's the one who gives children. No matter the fact that Leah and Rachel are going about it in bizarre ways having these children doesn't make those children any less of a good thing. Every child is a good is good and a blessing from God. Every child is good and a blessing from God. I told my children recently, I said, you know, as a family we believe that, we don't believe in sex before marriage. We believe that's the way it's meant to be and that's where children are best to be born. But let me tell you, if you ever find yourself in a situation where uh, you and your girlfriend or your boyfriend, I find yourself pregnant outside of marriage, you know what? Don't even think for a second about aborting it because that children is still a blessing and I'll celebrate the day you tell me about it just to be really clear with them. I would say, you know what, don't abort a child. God loves children. God hates abortion. He doesn't like the killing and murdering of unborn children. That's a pretty strong thing to say today in our, our age and our society, but it's true. So I say to you, maybe you've had an abortion, you've been involved in that. You know what? God's grace is for you as well. Okay, I'm going to say strong things on both sides. You know, God loves you and knows the situation you may be in. That's your story. We'd love to help you know God's forgiveness and grace. But God loves children. They're a good thing from him. In fact, every good thing the Bible tells us comes from him. Sometimes we can think the good things in our lives are because we somehow did something. I often think about where I was born in the world and in the place of history and think, wow, I am so blessed. I'm so blessed to live where I live and do what I've done and really it's nothing to do with me but by the grace of God got I that I should be born in such a place and time into the family I was born and given the opportunities I've been given and in reality that's the same for most of us. Any blessing in your life isn't really because you've made it. In fact, even the person who had the worst kind of dealt hand and went to the most amazing places you think, wow, some people have done really amazing things with the things they were given but even them, their breath in their lungs is given by God. Even their next step and heartbeat was given by him. No one can take credit for their own life and the goodness, really. It's all from God. We also see in this passage that God is a good God in the way that he hears and sees and remembers us. God knows your name. God knows the hairs upon your head. He knows the things that you suffer and go through. Not one moment have you escaped his attention. That's what we see right at the beginning of the passage. We see he saw that Leah was hated and loved. At the end of the passage, he sees um, Rachel and remembers her. You do not escape God's attention. He knows your name. He sees your situation. He hears your prayers and does not ignore them. He also was able to empathize perfectly with us. Here, Rachel and Leah did not have the perfect partner in in Jacob. Jesus, he never had a marriage partner. Jesus never had kids. Jesus had had very little status in the time in which he lived. The Bible even says that Jesus was not attractive. He doesn't have any of those status things. Whatever your situation right now, however bad it is, Jesus knows. When he came to earth, he came to walk in your shoes, to know the things you've felt and known, and he empathises lo- with you and loves you. One of the things I've taken away from this passage, that I've kind of enjoyed the most in one sense, is that God blesses even when we don't ask in the right way. God gives these women ch- children, even though they do it in the most bizarre way, in terms of going about having them, he still gives them children, even though they moaned and complained and got into all kinds of rivalry. He's still blessing. He's still gracious to them. And it makes me think of these 12 tribes, these 12 kind of men. They grow up into these 12 tribes. And, and later in the book of Exodus, they're saved from slavery and they're walking through the desert. And you think, wow, they must be so grateful to God. Instead of being grateful, they moan and complain and say, take us back to Egypt. It was easier than being in the desert. We'd prefer to be slaves. Again, irrational. Basically saying, I wish we were dead. They give us wars, they give us food and just moan and complain. They don't come faith, they don't name God's goodness. So what does God do? Well, what should he should do, he should just smite them. Then fine, I'll leave you in the desert. Or in fact, I'll let you go back to slavery. But he doesn't. He gives them food and water. Even though they moan and complain. The Bible talks about approaching God rightly and with reverence and praying in faith. And you don't have to ask and you don't ask in the right way. But you know what? God just sometimes covers it. He says, "But even though that's the way you should come, I'm still going to be gracious." We sit in this family; they're dysfunctional, but God still chooses to bless them. I find this in my life all the time—not all the time, enough of the time maybe—where I find myself moaning, at God, moaning, not even at God, just moaning. And then God still gives it to me. Even last week at church, I'm sitting. I was doing what Matts role last week. I was sitting with my wife, just preparing the hosting notes. And they brought out the bacon butties for Father's Day. Surely, gratitude is going to flow. Free bacon sandwich. My first response was like, ugh, white bread. <laughs> it's literally my thing. I just moaned. I was like, ugh, why have I only got white bread? meh, 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 And I was like, should we get back on the hosting? I like, sure. And so I got on with it. And just as I'm about to leave and come upstairs, they bring out the brown bread. I was like, so I picked up my brown bread roll with my bacon. I was like, God, I'm so sorry. I'm such a whinge back. So what am I like? God should have left me with my white bread. But he's not. He's good to me. Another time, I went to help a friend to pick up a table for their dining room. They got for 100 quid. Absolute bargain. Really nice table. And I helped drop them off, and was happy to do them a favour. But as I was driving home, I was like, ugh, why can't I have nice things? That table was so rubbish. Got home and had a little whinge to my wife as well. A week later, someone gave us the same table for free and drops it at my house. I was just like, God, I didn't even pray for this. I didn't even ask. You've given it to me anyway. Do you know what? God knows your moanings and complainings and he hears them. You know what? And he doesn't shun you. He loves you and he's gracious and he's good. But don't live in your groanings and moanings. Why did not you this morning come and repent and say, God, I'm sorry. Thank you for all the good that's in my life. Thank you for being gracious, that you are a good, good father. Thank you that you are the only one who could save me. We're talking about names this morning. Jesus' name, what does it mean? It means saviour. Save us from our sins. You know what? We often just talk about the comforts and happinesses in our life. This life is fleeting. It is short compared to the length of eternity. You know what, your happiness is already secure in Jesus if you are a believer here today. Jesus, come to save us from our sins, save us from ourselves, save us from our moanings and complainings and our false past that we wandered down. And if you don't know him, he's calling you today. Say, to come and know true happiness in him. It doesn't mean this life will be easy, but you can know a depth in this joy and also a hope for tomorrow, being with him in perfection where everything that is wrong will be made right. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, for these bizarre stories, uh, Lord God, that show that you're happy to get into uh, our lives, into our flawed, dysfunctional lives, and all kinds of wrong thinking and pursuits, Lord God, and that you're still gracious. You're still good to us. And I pray the person who needs to hear that this, most this morning, I pray that it lands on them. Let them know that you are good, that you are full, and bring peace and joy into their lives, Lord. I pray as we, even as we come to the tables, Lord God, I pray as we come and just repent, thank you that we are forgiven by Jesus by his death upon the cross, that salvation is ours through him and him alone, uh, Lord God. So just pray. please help us now, in Jesus' name, amen.